Welcome to my basement, everybody. I don't know how you do it, but every week you sound exactly the same <laughs> when you say it. Is it is that some sort of recording that you're pressing underneath your chair over there? Is it live or Memorex? No, you know what I do is I go back and I listen to every single week, yeah. and then I practice for four hours, and then I sit down here in the basement, turn the lights off, and press the record button. Listen to me, because I have a real question for yep. you. You're excellent on the podcast i love listening to your voice sometimes i listen to your voice and i forget that i'm supposed to talk to you sometimes oh that's nice <laughs> and uh, you're obviously great on uh, ep daily and on reviews on the run what, are you, you asking for a raise could i have uh, i need to borrow money actually <laughs> i'm in trouble i owe this guy named rocco okay he's gonna break my other kneecap no listen uh did you practice a lot i mean you're joking about practicing but did you ever have i know you're an actor uh, Did you ever look in the mirror and you were like, hello, I'm Victor Lucas. Uh, I mean, you know what? Hello! You hear yourself enough, and I think you just get better at finding your own voice. I think that's what it is. I, I, yeah, I, I was, it's hard for me to watch the early stuff that uh, you know on EP or early things that I did, early interviews that I did, because I was still kind of determining who I was going to be and how I was going to do all of this stuff. But then you, you kind of get comfortable in your own, own skin. You do it long enough. You so know? you don't have to necessarily do it in front of a mirror if you're doing it on a TV show on a regular basis. Yeah. And, I, you know, I don't think you have to do it in front of a mirror, you know, no matter what you're talking about. And that can go as kinky as you want it to go. But, uh, you know, I think actors and, and other people that are hosts and stuff, I think the most important thing is to just feel authentic and to feel what you're feeling and convey that and, and uh, find your own voice and, and just be really comfortable in it. I mean, that's, that's the only advice I would give around that stuff. Mm, how about a, how voice about a, you will find, <laughs> I see. Something voice you will find. Yeah. So is it like, uh, for me, I practice at home a lot. Do you really? In my underwear, no pants. Yeah. yeah. I have the thing. It's, uh, do you remember the 1983 movie, The King of Comedy, the Martin Scorsese yeah, movie with Robert Girl? I have the cutout of all the people. Oh, you do on the wall. Okay. And I look at them and pretend I'm standing in front of a studio audience. You've got it too. I and, mean, uh, I asked you to join our team here because you had it you naturally. Kidding? If you look Absolutely. At the early days when I was working on the show, I had a voice like a little mouse. No, Hi, Victor. No, you just you were learning uh, your range, but you had it. It's inherent. I think most people do have it. I think everybody's a storyteller. Everybody's got interesting stories and. You just have to find your own rhythm and feel comfortable in it. That's my, it. My mustache is an homage to the Rupert Pupkin mustache. Is it seriously? Is that what's going on? Wears in the King of Comedy. That has been this week's uh, d uh, defining um, characteristic of and explanation of the mustache on Scott Jones's face. Every week there's a new... Yeah. It's it's like the Loch Ness Monster. There's a myth. Right. A mythology that is grown up around We are myth-making the mustache right now. The myth behind the mustache. That'll be the title of my <laughs> are autobiography. Are you a man? Or are you a mustache? I thought we couldn't sing songs on the show because I always want to sing songs. And then you tell me we're going to have to pay royalties. I just made that up. Okay, well, that's from nothing. That just <laughs> yeah. came from the ether. <laughs> that's mine. So uh, in case you're tuning in to listen to a guest today, guest what? The show is 100% guest free. No, I'm the guest. 
Victor Lucas yeah, is the guest. Keep Welcome asking the me show, questions. Victor. Thank yes. you. Thank you. What uh, would you like to know, Bob? My first question is, when are you going to clean up this fucking basement? Because it is miserable no, down here. No, no, no. That, that is rule one, is we don't clean. Cleaning is for suckers. There's no cleaning down here. We need the stench. We need the stains. We need the homage and the aroma. You're going to draw vermin eventually. Uh, homage. That's the wrong word. What have you been playing? Uh, you know, I love video games. I know. I play video I've been playing um, Metal Gear Solid Revengeance. Is it Metal Gear Solid Revengeance? Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, I think. Okay. I think it said like nine titles. And I'm a Metal Gear fan. I can't keep up with all of it. I have been playing this game and uh, because we're going to review it very soon on the show. Yep. Uh, I've also been playing uh, Forza Horizon, which we're going to go back to. You and I are going to look at some DLC in an upcoming episode of Reviews on the Run. We are having a celebration of 2012 right now, you and I, aren't we? We're, we're playing a lot. forward by looking back. Yeah. I mean, this is the, the nature of games these days. We're playing the DLC for a lot of these titles. And it's pretty fantastic. You know, I like I like digging back into these games, I, especially Borderlands 2. This game has oh, yeah. just completely consumed me again, just like the first Borderlands did, you know? I, I knew what to expect with this, but and I knew that it was gonna be the slow creep that would dig its claws into me, and now I can't I can't I can't quit it. I I've fallen like, in love. I feel like I'm I yeah, you're in love with an abusive spouse though. I love her. Yeah, who doesn't always treat you right, who sometimes gives you terrible guns. Mm -hmm. um, it's okay. I'll go find a new gun. Sometimes bores you. <laughs> it's okay. A little bit of boredom here I'll go there. shoot somebody. Take their gun. That sounds like a very American thing to say. This is a, <laughs> you're a friendly Canadian man. Don't ever threaten to shoot anyone. You, you know what? I, the, uh, there are new things that I'm playing, which are also kind of old things. I didn't even know this, but PlayStation Home Arcade is something you can download for the Vita. What was that second word that came after, after PlayStation? I, uh, PlayStation I never Home. Heard of it. And I think never what they're doing is they, this is also available in the Home on the Home uh, app or whatever they're calling it on PlayStation 3. I have no idea. I have not ventured in there for about a year and a half. But the arcade that you can download into the Vita, you get for free a top-down version of Wipeout. So that was a great surprise. I had no idea that was going to be in there. And uh, the first game that I downloaded was Time Pilot for a buck fifty, which is one of my favorite classic arcade games. You know where you start off with you know in the World War II, flying an old uh, aircraft, and then you eventually work yeah. your way up to being a, a super jet taking yeah. on UFOs. I it's, love that thing, man. It's awesome. Like, that's where they were inspired to make the movie Benjamin Button because you sort of get more you right. get younger and more modern over the course of the game. That's right. right. The curious case of Benjamin Button inspired by Time Pilot, the that's arcade right. game. You heard it here first. Right. We're always doing investigative journalism here on the show. I'm glad you've been enjoying all of these retro games. Um, you know, it's... Uh, it's one of the, one of the big topics. We're just coming out of the Dice Conference yep. in Las Vegas. You and I've been to the show before. Love Dice. Uh, it is fun because nobody. There's not a lot of work that gets done there. It's probably the least serious, most frivolous of all the conferences. Well, for us, you know, I think for, for everybody, I think. Well, everybody's I, there to have fun and uh, maybe play a little uh, blackjack. No, maybe, but uh, have a steak, see I, a show. I mean, we're, I know what you're talking about. And we're about to have a discussion around one of the talks that was at Dice. That was my awkward segue. Yeah, yeah but so. I think that's the value of Dice. It's not so much about the. I mean, there's a boondoggle element to it, and just having fun and and uh, lightening the load a little it's bit a for spa sure. Day. Every day's a spa day at Dice. You know, for us, we get some pretty cool interviews. Mary's out. There, you know, is out there getting interviews right now for us, but. Uh, um, 
Yeah, really, it's about sharing sort of higher level concepts and ideas around this industry and and uh, having different ways to kind of think about video games. And I thought it was just amazing that the Dice folks brought J.J. Uh, Abrams and... Uh, um, uh, Gabe Newell. Yeah, Gabe Newell from Valve up on stage together. Did you think they were going to kiss at some point? Yeah. Didn't just they? Lean right in. No, I heard they did kiss. Mm. Yeah. Backstage? It got a little weird. A little gropey? Yeah, and but, uh, you know, we're a very lovey-dovey group in the video game biz, so it's it's good. It's a good thing. You know, I always have I've been to DICE several times in the past, and uh, I've always said if you want to meet everyone in the video game industry, go to the hotel where they're holding DICE and just yeah. ride the elevator, and you will meet every hero that right. you've ever wanted to meet. Okay, you've just created a plan for a whole bunch of weird people. The elevator stinks of Tim Schafer's farts. Because he's in the, I must have seen him a million times. Bottle that, bottle that. Yeah. Come on. All right, so the, the talk that we are referencing that we haven't talked about, because we're about to talk about this talk. Yeah, everybody wants us to grow up, right? Yeah. This is a David Cage's talk. Now, David Cage, he's the mastermind behind Quantic Dream, mm -hmm. makers of Heavy Rain. Mm -hmm. And uh, before that, what was that one called? I think that's uh, Indigo Prophecy. And then he also worked with Bowie on uh, Omnicrom or Omicron. 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 No soul that dates all the way back to 1999. Now, I have sort of a love-hate relationship with David. I like his ideas. I like what he's trying to do. Um, and uh, but but at times his stuff waxes a little pretentious. For yeah, my but tastes. I, I agreed, but I think that this industry, and this is what he's trying to say in this, needs to aspire to pretension. It needs to take itself a little bit more seriously. It needs to come up with ideas and and approaches to uh, interactive entertainment that don't feel like the quest for gun. You know, which is what ninety nine percent of games can start to feel like. Not, I mean, that's probably too general, but you know what I'm saying. There's just too many replications of the same mechanics over and over again, and I think he's trying to change that, adapt it. And, you know, the thing about Heavy Rain, and you and I have gone back and forth about this, there is emotional hooks in that game that really were significant when I played it the first time, and now when I reflect on that game... And I, I'm dropping the as a father card again, but as a dad, and I think about the kid, the guy losing his son at the beginning of that game, that just is devastating. I mean, it was just a heavy, heavy concept to introduce, and I felt it before I even knew I was going to be a father. And now it's it's uh, it's you know it's it's sheer resonance, and I think we need to aspire for more of those moments in games, 100 percent. Well, I think this is a time when we're all trying to figure out what comes next, and we're going to get a lot of answers this year. We've got the new uh, PlayStation 4. Yeah. Rumors are already circulating about what this thing is going to be able to do. But I think that one of the troubling facts from the previous few weeks is that uh, Capcom has lowered their sales projections for DMC Devil May Cry. Uh, originally, they thought it would sell around 2 million units, and yeah. now they've lowered it to 1.2 million units. And uh, something, because it's a good game, as we've talked about on the show. You before. love this game. It's it's I more than just game. a good game for you. But it's not connected. With you people. you've married this game, I think, right? If it's I've, official. I took this game to a hedonism resort. Oh, did you? We, oh, so you don't believe in marrying your games? We wore sandals. Okay. We uh, <laughs> we got we got couples massage on the beach. And, in this game. and you guys were topless the whole time, weren't you? <laughs> 
Well, it's clothing optional at the Hedonism. <laughs> so that's our daily commercial for the Hedonism Resort. No, the, the, this game is not connecting with consumers. This game, you know, and there's so many times where there are awesome games out there like you know Vigil's I, Darksiders 2, like you know, Vigil's Darksiders 1, that aren't selling enough copies. People aren't buying games the way you know, that they you know used what to it buy is. games. It's the Angry Birds. Those fucking angry, angry birds. birds have fucked us. The fucking angry birds. Guess man. what? Angry Why are they angry? They make they make all the money. They got all the dough. Why yeah. are they so fucking angry? They should be. They should be happy, yeah. rich birds. They should they be should, drinking champagne. They should be like in bathtubs. Like fucking just high on cocaine, hanging out with Oprah birds. <laughs> There's think, your next game, Rovio. <laughs> so I I think what what. Uh, David Cage is trying to do here is he's like here's a solution here's my idea he gave a talk called the Peter Pan syndrome the industry that refused to grow up yeah and I love the title I think it's great I think yes. drawing the parallel to Peter Pan brilliant and then he goes through about nine different ideas for what we can do you want to go through them real quick yeah let's do it feel? Okay. yeah number one make games for all audiences can you do this in the Bane voice I don't know how the Bane voice goes <laughs> number um, one Oh, Mr. Wayne, make games for all audiences, Mr. Wayne. Why am I doing this in the Bane voice? I don't know. Why do I do whatever you tell me to do? Just for me, just to make me laugh. Are you happy? No, I think that's an excellent idea around game making, and I think that's how games used to be made when the technology was simpler. So, you, so I'm trying to understand, because this is a paraphrasing, obviously, that I'm getting this information from. Yeah. So what he's saying is you make one game, that somehow appeals to everybody. Yes. You make kind of the Forrest Gump of gaming. You so know, everybody I, goes to see it. Kids, I'm, old people. I'm going to throw a game out there that did just that. Go ahead. Wii Sports. Mario. Yeah, yeah. sort of. Super Mario World. Uh, yeah, specifically Super Mario 3 and Super Mario World. Those games were everywhere. If you had video games when those games came out, you had that game. Or you had those two games. And Nintendo cracked that. They made a game that was difficult for people that had the dexterity and the tenacity and the patience, uh, gamers, but they also appealed to grandmas and moms playing with kids. They appealed to uh, every level. They made something quirky and weird and artistic and engaging. But this is the thing, like we live at a time where everybody can get whatever they want, whatever yes. they want it, 24 hours a day. They can yeah. have the kinds of, they can get cat videos if they want it. They can watch DVRs that are filled with, uh, you know, Breaking Bad episodes. Right. They can, you can so have whatever you, what I'm saying is everybody can kind of put their own thumbprint on what they were, create the kind of stuff to suit their own personal needs. I don't think that we live at a time when you can just have a piece of entertainment that appeals to everybody anymore. I yeah, I think you can. Weird. And I think what he's talking about is not the uh, What's an example the of something that appeals to Avengers everybody? is an excellent not example. really. My grandmother did not go see the Avengers. Okay. Your grandma was the only one. Because no, it's num number one. three in the world right now. That's and because you went to see it five times. I did see it 75 times. I and did. all nerds And I own the Blu-ray. Yeah. And I watch the Blu-ray every day. I'm inspired by the Blu-ray every... No, but uh, The Avengers is one of those movies uh, that crossed a threshold, that did way better than expectations, that was a better film than expected. 
Um, and a great example of building entertainment that's going to appeal to a very, very wide crowd. And I, I agree with you. I think this idea of chasing the mainstream is difficult. But if we are talking about budgets like the game budgets that Cage works with and some of the top level developers in the world like Naughty Dog and uh, Infinity uh, Ward and you know some of these really big companies, that's who he's, he's speaking about. Make games, Nintendo, make games that are going to appeal to everybody. Find a way. You know, endeavor for, to, to go further with this. And that's what he's put on himself, I think, is what he's saying there, too, is that that's his challenge, too. This is about, you know, crossing this, the mediums and, and sort of building a, a, a bigger prominence for this stuff and being more important to more people. And I think the video game industry needs to do that when we're talking about 20 to 60 to 100 million dollar games. And what they're doing, and what I think what his rest of his statements are, is that they've figured out a, a market, and they just cater to that same market again and again. And that's good business, but it's not creative. It's not creative experimentation. It's not stretching the boundaries. It's not trying to shake things up, you know? And I think you need to look at the people that have done that, the James Camerons and the Joss Whedons, and pretty soon the J.J. Abrams and the Lucases and the Spielbergs. They shook things up with their approach to how to cross over with their art, with their art and their entertainment. And video game makers need to do that too. And I, I think that's just not possible. I think it's ridiculous to think that we can create a video game that will appeal to every. We had Angry Birds. We played that. Everybody bought a Wii. Yeah. You know, three years ago, my parents bought a Wii. They'll never buy a video game system again. They played Wii Sports on it. Well, that's so sad that because you and I know that video games are the best entertainment that that we've ever created. That human beings have created so far. You know, and they can be that and more. Well, they're second to crossword puzzles. But crossword, Sudoku, then video games, crossword, yeah, right. and and tops are awesome as well. Yeah. You know, I love spinning a top on I a like desk the occasional forever. Game of mastermind. Yeah, and, and stick, masturbation. Stick and hoop is masturbation. Also fun. Masturbation's excellent. So make games for all. Uh, he's got another thing here. He says, "Change our paradigms." I'm going to quote him here. Okay. Uh, we cannot hope to keep doing the same things the same way and expand our market overnight. We need to decide that violence. And platforms are not the only way. Uh, now, if the character doesn't hold a gun, designers don't even know what to do. Yeah. Do you feel that's true? Yes. I think that's true in storytelling and in film as well. I mean, we just watched uh, Identity Theft or Identity Thief, and a gun is introduced, and people are shooting at each other. And I just feel like that's just a go-to gag. And, like, there is no thought about the, you know, the permanence of what that means, you know, in our entertainment, you know, you bring a gun into a plot and there is devastation, you know, there's the implied devastation. I think Chekhov had a, a quote about that, is that you, uh, when you bring a gun into the second act, it has to go off in the third act or something. I'm totally getting that, that quote wrong. In the first act, it has to go off. Yeah, you're right. yeah, you know, and I think the, the we just have fallen on that way too easily in our culture, in our society, in our storytelling. And, you know, because, you know, North America is really leading the uh, the media charge around the world, we're seeing that same kind of concept echoed all over the world in other people's entertainment too. And it's just silly. It's just too much. I mean, there's too much noise around all of this stuff. Not uh, you know, not to uh, not to be too literal with it, but I I think we have to come up with different different approaches. Absolutely, that's why a game like Fez was so remarkable. Or Journey, you know, it's passive, beautiful. Well, I, I think that there are lots of stories out there that uh, are difficult to tell, and I think that the shortest distance between two points for all developers is to just put a, a gun yeah. in the game 
and it's uh, you're right. We've uh, it's become too easy just to sort of fall back on that. And, uh, and but in order to create new types of experiences that we've never had to make us feel things we've never felt before, uh, it's going to take some creative thinking, and it's yeah. going to take some people who are willing to risk money in order to make those things happen. Now, there's gunplay in The Last of Us, and I, you know I know you and I sat through the demos at E3 last year fully rocked by that game. I mean, that game is just sensational. I can't wait to get that thing in my hand, from what I've seen so far. And there is hyper-violence in there, but it's violence with weight. It's violence with sustenance, with, with uh, you, know, or, you know, just, like, you can feel the hits. You feel the contact in that thing, you know? So when a gun is introduced, it's not just a toy. It's not just a light, contrived little piece of the entertainment it feels devastating and that's how guns should feel in everything you know they are devastating and this game i think really it, i mean you, you're gonna have to fight dudes you're gonna have to hit them with heavy things you have to kill the enemies and stuff but it, it feels like a step in the right direction there's an emotional impact to it all seven minutes ago you were praising uh borderlands 2 yeah, I know. And that is a game that has about 7 billion bullets. I know. I mean, there's so many conflicting thoughts around all of this stuff. I know. And, you know, like I'm, I play these games and I record the footage for our shows and we are becoming a little bit more sensitive to how much violence is in a lot of the content that we're talking about. So we're trying to not show off every single headshot and explosion and, and jib shot that happens in these things. But, uh, um, uh, I mean, that's a game that it, it parodies its own genre in a way, you know? It's just so over the top, you know, uh, sarcastic and humorous that it's hard to take it seriously. But if you, you know, and I love Call of Duty and I love, uh, you know, uh, um, some of the other shooter experiences out there as well. And, and it, uh, it's, it's awesome to jump into those games, but it can become numbing. I totally feel what Cage is trying to say. He has a few more points here. We'll just run through them uh, really quickly. Um, the uh, importance of meaning he's got here is one of his points. When you think yep. about it, you realize that many games have absolutely nothing to say. Right. Uh, you're just, uh, they're, they're here to make you have a good moment to, to get some adrenaline flowing, flowing in your system, and that's, that's the end of it. Yeah, and look at Papo and Yo. You know? That was a game with, with uh, not the best mechanics some art stutters and, and uh, you know, polygons clipping and, sh and stuff like that. You know, you could, you could fault that game for a number of technical things, but why we cared about it and why we loved playing the game was that there was uh, truth in the experience. There was a, an, a, an effort on the part of the developers to kind of convey this really dark story wrapped in a child's imagination. And that was a profound work of art that was just like a great thing to share with the world you know it's like here you can approach something heavy and ominous with uh real artistry and that's what that game felt like when you played it his other big point here is that uh, we need to get rid of the word game yeah we need to start calling it digital entertainment that was his suggestion yeah uh for now until we come up with something better uh and i think that's a that's an interesting yeah. idea because I don't think calling these things games anymore really gives the sense of depth and breadth that a lot of these things have. I've been saying this since 95, you know, I, I feel that way too, but um, I, 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 there is that element and, and that implication and, uh, you know, right from the beginning of, of going out with our cameras and shooting the shows and 
telling people about what we were doing, the first you know thoughts that would come back when you say we cover video games. Oh, I love Pac-Man. I love Space Invaders. And there was that direct connection to the uh, the classic ideas of what video games meant. And that used to bother me. It used to bug me that people were so short-sighted and they didn't see these uh, incredible works that everybody was building in the day and still today. Uh, but now I feel of two minds with it. I almost feel like we're kind of reclaiming that word and we're, we're giving that word more meaning and more uh, um, value as its term, you know? And I think that the world is slowly starting to recognize the efforts and the work. And I think everybody is becoming a gamer thanks to, you know, these really video gamey type little experiences on our phones, but at least it's bringing people to the medium. Now listen, I don't think he says anything here that we haven't heard or said or things that have come up in a conversation before. What I like about this is the fact that he says all of these things. Well, he need, we need to hear them over and over again yeah, we if do. we ever can hope that there's going to be any change. But he, he says all of these things in front of a captive audience at DICE in Las Vegas. Yeah. And, uh, and he says them all in one fell swoop. It's not part of little smaller conversations. He right. says them all at the same time. So I, I don't, you know, he's not really breaking any new ground, but by doing all of this in one self-contained uh, talk at Dice, I, I think I think that you know there's gonna people are people are reacting to this. Yeah. Everybody's talking about this thing. Totally. Everybody, uh, everybody's got an opinion about all of these things that he's bringing up. Well, and you, you and I do too. And I, you know, I, I think about this all the time because of the amount of time that we have sunk into our careers now, you know, and developers like Cage, and there's tons of them out there as well, that really believe in this industry. And I, I think about the early days and how this was just an amazing opportunity and a, and a great gig. And now I've devoted so much of my life to covering this business and, and I, I love it so much and I believe in it so much. And I see that across the board with other developers that have you know, stayed with companies or ideas or jumped around and stayed in the industry and done whatever they could to keep building cool games. And what's really clear to me is that if you're going to do this, if you're going to build art, you have to weather the storm and you have to endeavor to work and find your place and build something that you're really proud of and be a part of something that you really believe in. And that's, that's ultimately the most important thing. And I, I, you know, you and I review so much stuff and I often question if the people working on this product really cared, you know, really, you know, showed up to believe in, in the concept and really wanted to drive it home. And I don't, I don't want to, you know, slag any games or anything like that right now, but, or movies. But I think there's something just so heartbreaking about sort of being in the field that you aspired or dreamt to be a part of, but then settling uh, and working on something that you really didn't want to do or that you really don't believe in. And I think that that ultimately seeps through in the finished product and a lot of the stuff that we review. Well, I mean, we've seen some developers, some respected names, like our good friend Ryan Payton, who was part of you know a pretty respected, vaunted team and decided to leave to go his own way just because he wanted to make his own decisions and yeah. build his own things. I mean, life is short, man. If there's other stuff you want to be doing... You don't have to work on the next, you know, Barbie pony adventure game if you yeah. don't want to. Yeah. You don't have to work on the Dora the Explorer game if you don't want to. And I, I agree, you know, and it is something that I think about a lot as well because, yeah, I've been doing this over 10 years, not as long as you, but long enough. And at this point, I've been doing this 
longer than I've done anything else in my life. And yep. I guess I guess at this point, by default, it is my career. Yep. I didn't think I would have one. <laughs> I thought I would just go from town to town, wash dishes, sort of like you know, a midnight yeah, cowboy, the Hulk. Yeah, midnight like, cowboy like, kind of way. Yeah, you know? like Bill Baxter. Just like Bill Baxter, is right? It right? No, is it right? No, David Banner. David Banner, yeah. Or David Bill Banner. Banner, I think. Bill Bixby. Bill Bixby was the actor. Yeah. Boy, your brain is really I, cooked. I, I feel tonight. like I'm getting a little bit of a, a cold. I'm, I'm sorry. No, you've been uh, sharper than you normally are on the show, I have to say. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. Maybe Are you taking some cold medicine? No, I should, okay. though. No, don't take any. No, these are, I, I love discussions like this. As you know, it gets me you know, riled up. I just don't know. I just don't know that, uh, you know that some, of these things, some of these things seem a little naive to me. Well, I, he is speaking to a crowd that makes AAA titles, you know, that have the budgets and the freedom to aspire. It's probably 50-50, though. No, Some I know, and, and honestly, the guys. they're being the pushed guys. by the, the indies as well, and that's what's so amazing right now, is that guys like Ryan Payton, who we have to have on the show soon, by the way, can just leave a AAA team and start their own dream and their vision, and you know, what's interesting is his game, The Republic, uh, is uh, very much echoing a lot of the sentiments that David Cage is talking about there. It's a game without weapons, because Ryan doesn't want to be shooting all the way through his experience. And I think that there's a movement afoot right now from a lot of experienced developers and designers to kind of try, you know, try to change the way that we approach interactive storytelling and game making. And uh, I think it's fantastic. And I think it's, it is pushing people in a bunch of different directions. But I think you're also correct that you know, finding that mainstream audience is going to become increasingly more, increasingly more difficult. But I think if these publishers and these hardware manufacturers and these you know 100 person teams are going to stay in business and continue to work together that's what they have to reach for they have to challenge they have to change the uh, the content flow so that we aren't numbed by the same types of experiences over and over again yeah you know, i still think that it's a miracle that nintendo got so many people including my parents to purchase a wii yeah I think everybody's still a little bit shocked that that even happened, that there was such Including Nintendo, I crossover think. mainstream appeal for this machine. Yeah. And, but what they didn't have and what they didn't plan for and what they couldn't figure out was how to sustain that relationship yeah. with these new customers that they didn't right. ever expect to have. But the fact that they got that first step, that they got the foot in the door, well, you know, is you, encouraging. I, you know what it is. They didn't have an internet model where people didn't have to go to stores necessarily to buy expensive software you know my I mean that's how Apple gonna, is succeeding right now my parents are not gonna hook up to the internet with their Wii like if they make it easy I mean they have iOS devices probably it's right not even that easy for me no my parents, my parents they don't have, have an iPad them. or an iPhone or they, anything they barely have cell phones at this point okay yeah. all right we're learning a lot about your parents but they're old people do they still play Wii no I don't even know I think they sold it in a garage sale how is their relationship my mom and dad? Yeah. I still think they have relations. Yeah? I don't know. I don't fucking know. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I don't like this. Why am I on the hot seat now? Okay. We're Once and for all. David Cage. Why, why did we, you grow that mustache? Why don't we have David Cage on the show? Yes. How do we make that happen? I don't know. Make some calls. All right. I'll make some calls. You know okay. what? I'll shave my mustache when Ryan Payton shaves his beard. Whoa. The so gauntlet is thrown. 
Yeah, I know Tepic. He, he looks like the Taliban. He, he's he look he looks amazing. He's got. I, I just saw. A Why recent... does he look amazing and I don't? But he's got facial hair. You, I, facial I like hair. the beard. The mustache is uh, is uh, a tribute to Magnum PI, and uh, that was cool back in the day. You're the Butler Jeeves. <laughs> I can't even. Was that was Higgins? Yeah, Higgins. that was Higgins. Higgins. There's your Magnum PI reference for yeah. about four people that can remember that yeah, show. Nobody knows what you're talking about. So, uh, David Cage, we have to thank him for his heady commentary and his, uh, his high-minded topics that got us talking and thinking, and uh, I applaud that. You looking forward to playing Beyond? No. Okay. I didn't like Indigo Prophecy very much. <laughs> I hated Heavy Rain. <laughs> I thought Heavy Rain was bullshit. So you are looking forward to the next Call of Duty game, then? No. You want to shoot somebody in the face? Jesus. Okay, no. well, where do you come in? Devil May Cry. You want to play that again? No, I'm not playing Devil May Cry again. That's All three right. times I played it, and I'm done. I'm All right. Ready what, for, I'm ready what for you, March to get here. You're ready for Tomb Raider, Bioshock. Uh, what else is coming? SimCity. Ready to go back to my hedonism resort. <laughs> With your DMC so copy. Well, David Cage gave us a lot to think about, though, man. So I want to hear from everybody. I want people to uh, comment down below. What do you think about uh, the video game industry growing up? Do we have to do it? Lots of food for thought there. Lots of food, which reminds me <laughs> that you have to eat for your mom to bring us bologna sandwiches. <laughs> we need some sandwiches, mom. Mom. Thanks. Thanks for listening, everybody. Remember, you can uh, subscribe to uh, the podcast on iTunes. I think you can find us on Stitcher and various other outlets out there. And uh, we do appreciate your support and telling people about us. We'll see you next time in Vic's basement. Bye.